Hi, I'm Luis Carrion with the University of Arizona Digital Learning Team. Today, we're bringing you a conversation with three instructional designers to explore some of the ways they work with faculty to elevate the quality of online learning at the University of Arizona. Adam Davey, Brian Hale, and Emily Torres work with departments across the U of A, and together, they have a wealth of experience and information regarding what works and maybe what doesn't work quite so well in the online modality. Little tidbits about the generics of the topic that we're going to be teaching helps me consider new technologies that might help the instructor teach students. They say no two online courses are the same or require the same type or amount of support. That's why the digital learning team uses a combination of research, theory, and best practices in student-centered learning to support instructors as they develop online courses. Stay with us. Hello, and thank you for joining us on the Futures in Digital Learning podcast. I'm Adam Davey, a senior instructional designer in the Office of Digital Learning. And I'm Brian Hale, an instructional designer in the Office of Digital Learning. And today we are joined by Emily Torres, an instructional designer uh, in the Office of Digital Learning as well. Uh, we are excited to have a conversation today about getting started on the design process with your instructional designer, or as we may refer to it throughout this podcast, your ID. So we're going to get started with Emily, uh, and Emily wrote an article in this month's Digital Learning Download titled How to Prepare for the Initial Meeting with Your Instructional Designer. Uh, if you haven't checked out the Digital Learning Download, please be sure to do that uh, and sign up and get those monthly newsletters as well. But Emily, please uh, tell us what you think makes a successful initial meeting between a faculty member and an ID. Hi, Adam and Brian. Thank you so much for having me. I think a successful initial meeting is when the instructor leaves feeling excited about building their course and all of the possibilities that are ahead of them. Once the instructor knows that they have a dedicated ID to help them and lots of technology, tools, and resources at their disposal, it makes the process a lot more manageable. I will say building a course isn't uh, like Disneyland fun, but it should be an enjoyable challenge. And usually if I get that vibe from the instructor leaving the meeting, it's been a success. I would like to know how to make a building a course Disneyland fun, just for the record. Um, and I think, you know, that'd be awesome if we, uh, if we could do that. I'm not sure it's possible, but I mean, that's what we aim for. That's great. Uh, what is uh, the one thing that you think instructors should come into that initial meeting prepared to discuss? First and foremost, bring any questions or concerns. Your ID wants to make the course development process as pain-free as possible. By addressing any of these questions or hesitations up front, your ID can alleviate the apprehension. We're here to walk with the instructor, share research-backed best practices, and brainstorm solutions tailored to your unique needs. So by getting those questions out of the way first, we can remove that roadblock and really share with you all of the exciting possibilities for the course. That's wonderful. You know, one of the things I, um, when I'm working with my faculty, I tell them to dream big and any ideas they have to bring those to the table. And we will investigate ways to make that happen. 
And even if we can't make something happen, we can put it on the back burner or we can research maybe a slightly different way to make something happen. But it's that bringing, bringing that whole like Disneyland mentality of the world is your oyster. It's the most magical place on earth. Make your course the most magical thing for your students. And another thing I tell my faculty is think about the courses you've gone through. And was there something in that course that struck a chord with you personally that you would want to share with your students? You know, was it the way an instructor delivered a video? Was it the style of the video? Was it the instructor's tone of voice? Think about all those things when you're working with your instructional designer, um, because we have ways to make that happen. We've got an amazing studio over in Harville that the team over there is just phenomenal with the, the great on-screen graphics they can do, bringing cameras into your classroom. You know, the bigger you dream, the, the more engaging your course is going to be. And, and I think um, spurring that idea in the heads of faculty is, is really, really important. I think that's such a great point, Brian, especially because a lot of instructors will come to us having taught this course in a different modality before. So perhaps it was taught in person or in a hybrid format, um, but being able to come to it with a fresh perspective, a fresh set of eyes and a clean slate of reimagining and reinvigorating the course in the online format. And there's a lot of different ways, like you said, where we can make it engaging and fun. And this is what your ID is here to do. They're here to help you discover ways to make your course next level. Absolutely. And I think that's the key is making it next level. Because if we just do what we know and what has been done in the past, we're not really moving forward. And I think in 2021, a lot of, of students that come to the U of A are looking to us to have better than average coursework, you know, stuff that integrates the latest technologies, um, interactivity with a facilitator because we're online, because we've been quarantining for the past year. They need that engagement. So all that is just so, so important. And I think also it's important to know too that a lot of people, you mentioned being at 2021 and we've been online and quarantining for the last year and there's this expectation of what online learning looks like now, uh, which is very different than what online learning actually is because we've been doing remote learning. Uh, and so developing an online course, uh, taking things to the next level, uh, making it, you know, dreaming big and making it uh, exactly what we wanted to from a, a design perspective and from a faculty perspective, I think is important and it's possible when you have an amazing team to work with and, uh, and you come in with that right energy and the right uh, motivation to do that. Absolutely. And so we, we've mentioned dreaming big, but um, Emily, in your article, you talk about course maps. And so what is the course map and why is it so important to make the dream become a reality? 
The course map is more than just a perfunctory worksheet that the instructor fills out to help the instructional designer put their course together as the end product that the student will see in D2L. The course map is a visual representation of the backwards design strategy, which is a proven principle to create a student-centered and learning outcome-driven course. So while we are talking about all these big ideas and questions and how to take the course to the next level, um, it's also a very you know, science-backed process. And the backwards design strategy, it compels the instructor to consider learning outcomes first and learning outcomes just being what students are supposed to do in order to demonstrate mastery of your course materials. And this puts student learning front and center because outcomes inform what kind of learning materials such as readings and lectures are necessary to support them in achieving the outcomes. The last piece is then for instructors to decide how to measure the student's success in reaching those outcomes. And that takes the form of assessments, um, things like discussions, quizzes, papers, final exams, things of that nature. So that's the nuts and bolts of how the backwards design strategy works. And here's why it's important. Um, first and foremost, it promotes intentionality and alignment. It forces the instructor to continuously determine if they're providing relevant materials and assessments that enforce the learning outcomes. Uh, and what this does is it helps eliminate assessments or activities that are kind of out in left field. They don't have a purpose or a direct connection to the outcome. And it also makes it easier to provide clear and direct instructions um, in those activities and assessments. So if you as the instructor are not able to quickly explain the purpose of what you're asking students to do, then that leaves students confused and annoyed and they're not gonna be able to connect the dots themselves if you are not able to do it for them. That is a really good point. So I think the faculty have to be able to show how to connect all of these dots, but keeping that in mind as a faculty, let's say I'm going to work on my course map, where do I start? How do you encourage faculty to work on this course map? Because over a seven and a half week, eight week course, the course map and, and keeping in mind, I've got to show my students how to connect all these dots. That can seem like a really daunting task. Whereas like some, some people might just keep in the back of their mind, well, I, here's all the stuff I know I have to teach and I'll just teach it. I'll teach this on week one and this topic on week two and this topic on week three. So how, how would you encourage faculty to actively work on the course map rather than just throwing stuff into a course? Right, and you bring up a good point. Um, the backwards design strategy that is typified in the course map is in stark contrast to another approach that instructors will typically um, default into um, which is called forward design. And basically by doing this, the instructor tends to focus more on what kind of lectures they wanna do or what articles and readings they wanna include. Um, and then they kind of design assessments around those lectures. And then the last piece of the puzzle they have to do is kind of back out some learning outcomes, which often tend to be 
something entirely different than what they had really intended. So in other words, they're really prioritizing teaching over the student learning. So the course map, although it looks deceptively simple, um, because it is a worksheet, it is like a one or two pager, it, it does take quite a bit of time to really fine tune. So what I usually do is I ask my instructors to take a stab at that first week or that first module on the course map, fill out learning outcomes, the learning materials and the assessments. Um, if, you, if the instructor has taught the course in a different modality before, um, I tell them, you know, use that, use your syllabus, use, you know, whatever content you've used in the past. But I also warn them that previous items will more than likely need to be um, modified, completely reworked or eliminated altogether. Um, unfortunately, having previously taught the class is not a free pass. The course map is a great starting point. And from there, once you kind of have that first week done, I usually meet with the instructor again and we spend an hour revising learning outcomes, checking for alignment between outcomes, materials, and assessments. And it can take, you know, weeks or even, you know, up to two months, I would say, to complete. Uh, it is an iterative process, but once it's reviewed and finalized with the ID input, I, I find that instructors tend to feel much more confident in their course and how it's been put together and spending this time and investing this effort up front. I think it's so great that you said um, having taught the class previously is not a free pass. I think that's absolutely wonderful because it gets the facilitator thinking about teaching the students rather than teaching the material to the students. And what I've noticed is when I've worked with instructors that taking the stuff from online, sometimes they will create something that's so much better than what they've been teaching for the past five years, that they take what they're doing online and they put that in their in-person classrooms. And that's just another, you know, gold star right next to the course map and working with an instructional designer to bring the course up to the next level. Adam, how do you how do you work with instructors and, and course maps and, and designing new um, content for a course? Yeah, I, I want to add too that I'm glad that Emily said that this is a, this can be a process uh, where there's revisions and refinements and uh, it's not just a, you know, sit down and, and put everything on paper one time and move on from there. Uh, so it's important to know that it is a process and it does take time to go through the learning outcomes and to look at what types of learning activities align with those outcomes and what types of assessments align with the activities and the outcomes. And, you know, I always tell my instructors, everything comes back to the outcomes. You know, when you're lost, when you don't know where, where you're going, everything comes back to those outcomes. So it's important to have those as a starting point and to go from there uh, as far as what what's going to work in the online world and what is, you know, what might be different from other modalities that you've taught the course in. Uh, and so, you know, it's okay to revise things. It's okay to change. It's okay to 
to use different material uh, if you need to because it works better. Uh, and I think that is um, that for me is is one of the biggest challenges working with uh, instructors is getting them to see that and what that that different modality looks like uh, in terms of the alignment from you know with outcomes and activities and assessment. Um, I'm curious to hear from you, Emily, what you would think, what you would say one of the biggest challenges is for instructors developing their first online course. Most instructors I've worked with have never designed a course either online or in person using this backward design strategy. And designing this way is such a big shift from the forward design fallback. It's a learning curve um, to not only create learning outcomes first and let those be the star of the show, um, but also to draft, you know, a course, even if it's been taught before, it could be from scratch, you know, having, having this support from the ID and showing a different way of doing things, um, it is a little bit of a process. Um, and I think because learning outcomes are first and foremost, a lot of instructors, um, they tend to get stuck in the rut of having outcomes that sound something like understand why the Civil War started or have an appreciation for the arts and crafts movement or become aware of accounting methods for managing inventory. So those squishy words like understand, learn, appreciate, become aware of, um, it, it can be hard to move past that. Um, but once the ID is able to be there with the instructor and coach them out of that and really dig deeper um, to draft those focused, action-oriented outcomes, once we kind of can get those uh, dialed in up front, everything else can be a lot easier to fall into place. Um, so working through those challenges together is, is huge, and it, it, it is a time investment, but like I said before, once it's done, the course is really set up to be much more of a success. Okay, so right now we're going to do an example. We're going to take a really bad objective, like an explain, or not an explain, a, um, an understand. So let's say understand how plants grow, just for example. Let's shift that into something that we can actually um, test against or measure against. So understand how plants grow. That's my objective. What would you suggest? How would you suggest we um, change that into something a little more firm for a student? I would start by asking the instructor, how do students need to understand it? Do they need to um, list the steps of plant growth in order? Or do they need to be able to um, defend a hypothesis about the science behind why a plant grows in this particular way? So we have we need to identify with the instructor, is this a low hanging fruit type of thing where it's more of just a process and you have to memorize it and spit it back out? Or is this a lot more um, is there a lot more to it and the understanding needs to be sussed out into something more of an analyzing or evaluating, or do they need to create new knowledge? 
And once I'm able to dial in with the instructor, what exactly are they looking for? Um, then it's easier to kind of pick the right language uh, that will enable students to, to show uh, quote unquote understanding and demonstrate it in the right way. And that's wonderful. The example you gave, you took one idea and you actually expanded it into three different things that the instructor could use in the course. So we've gone from one idea to three different things that the instructor could test against. That's incredible. And from an instructor point of view, having that, um, you know, ex explain how plants grow. And now I have more in my library that I can give to the students and test their knowledge against. And that comes from working with an instructional designer and having them open my mind to these different ways of looking at what it is I'm trying to achieve with my students. That's fantastic. Yeah, that was a really great example. Uh, and I think it really goes to show, you know, what, what, what instructional designers can do and also, you know, how you can make your course that much more dynamic uh, from a learning point of view uh, and, and from a student perspective, because now you're really dialed into, you know, yes, ultimately you want your students to understand how plants grow, but how are they showing you that, right? And what are these different, what are the different ways that they can, they can expand on that and that you can ask them to, you know, give you that information back uh, in return, and and it opens up different avenues for activities and assessments, and you know, all all ways to make the course more dynamic, to take it to that next level, which we brought up earlier, and uh, and that all comes back to having those powerful learning outcomes. Uh, you know, I think if we can take one thing away uh, so far today it's it's that everything comes back to those learning outcomes and and that's uh that's really where the course the course growth and design uh sprouts from to keep with that plant growth uh, analogy that we've got going right now yeah um one of the things we have been talking about on our team recently is the difference between goals objectives and outcomes so just real quickly, who wants to tackle that one? What is the difference between a goal and an objective and an outcome? I can take it. Um, so I've been very intentional in using the word outcome. And like I mentioned a little earlier, the learning outcome is what the instructor is asking the student to do to demonstrate understanding. So like we've been talking about understanding, appreciating, learning, those are really squishy words that aren't specific. After all, how does a student understand plant growth? Basically what you're asking them to do is they need to demonstrate in one form or another, even through a very basic activity or a very advanced one to show understanding through listing or through hypothesizing. Those are two very different avenues. Um, so the outcome is the actual action verb, you know, what is the demonstration? Whereas the objective is really more on the instructor side of what kind of materials do I need to give the students? What's my goal um, for teaching? I need to cover um, X, Y, and Z topics. I need to provide these kinds of articles. It's really more on the instructor um, to come up with those. And those are, they're really a lot more in the background 
And the student doesn't really necessarily see the objective of the instructor. And the way it plays out is more through the materials that are provided. What's much more important to, these, to the student is, what am I being expected to do? That's front and center for them. I think that's great that you uh, you really phrase that in terms of the student, uh, right? And that's one thing to really uh, hammer home with the instructor what uh, you know what what our ultimate goal is as a, as an ID uh, is to to make things more transparent for the students and um, to you know, to help the instructor show how to make the student experience the best experience possible in this online class and uh, and to help the student reach those learning outcomes uh, and to really show and to demonstrate what they are expected to do and to have that front and center you know moving forward with the with the course design uh, so you know from an ID perspective uh, what what is a way that IDs can better prepare for that initial meeting and better serve faculty? You know, how can IDs help uh, help each other in this process? It's a very simple suggestion, um, but one I found to be um, very powerful in that first meeting with an instructor is coming in with a notes template, just covering um, all of our digital learning services, um, questions I know I want to ask the instructor about their background and what is their vision for the online course. Um, so even though I kind of have that off to the side, those notes off to the side, um, I start the meeting with asking the instructor, what questions do you have? What concerns? What's, what's exciting that you have, you know, at the front of your mind that even if I tell you about all these great resources, you're not going to care because there's just that one burning thing you want to get to. Um, but I use that template as a fallback um, just to make sure I share all of the relevant information. Um, but it's usually covered one way or another um, just by talking through different scenarios with the instructor or answering their questions. Plus, by starting with questions, I kind of like to see where's the instructor's head at and kind of go from there. Are they excited and I can share with them tons of technology? Are they more hesitant? And I really have to bring them on board with why online learning, you know, is can be backed by, you know, design principles that make courses stronger, just to kind of see where I fit in um, with, with their, um, their vision for the course. That's a great approach. And I think it's important to to know, you know, what I hear you saying is to be flexible too with the instructors. And I take a similar approach where I kind of ask them to give me a little bit about where they are and where they want to go with the course. And, you know, I have my standard template uh, or whatnot of things to show them and talk to them about. And sometimes I can cross things off the list as they talk, as they ask questions and, and think, you know, well, this probably isn't going to be very relevant to them. So let's not spend time talking about it in this meeting. Let's go to things that are more important or that are that are going to be more crucial for the instructor to um, to hear and to know that we do as far as resources and as far as uh, our role in helping through the course design process. So it's it's nice to hear that that's um, that's a, a good approach and you know moving forward looking at at, at how we can help as IDs uh, with this process as well. 
I enjoy becoming a little bit of a subject matter expert about the course I'm helping with. Um, I'm working on four art courses. And if you know me, you would know that I can't draw a circle to save my life. No matter how many episodes of Bob Ross I watch, I cannot paint anything. I want so desperately to be able to be at least an adequate painter of some kind. <laughs> um, so like getting into helping these facilitators write their new upcoming online art courses, I kind of took a little bit more of a deep dive into like what makes up paint um, what different kinds of paint are there? What kind of canvases are used? And just knowing little tidbits about the generics of the topic that we're going to be teaching helps me consider new technologies that might help the instructor teach students. So I have one instructor who's going to be going into the Harville building and having those folks film her putting the brush against the canvas at a specific angle and showing how to make certain brush strokes or palette strokes because they're not going to be in person. The instructor can't go over to them and hold their hand and move the brush with them. So just thinking about all those little things and then trying to come up with new cool ways to get that information across to the students. I'm so glad we've got the folks over in Harville who are willing to work with our facilitators to videotape really cool ways of instruction. Um, and, and just being able to share that enthusiasm with my faculty of, oh, I found this really cool app. It's an art app. And what it used to do was you could take a picture of a painting and it would be like Google images and it would tell you who painted it and when and blah, blah, blah about that. But now, since we've been in this pandemic, this app They've gone out to all these little tiny museums all over the world, and they've helped these museums digitize their art collections. So you can now tour a museum, let's say in South Carolina, they're having an exhibition on metallic art. You can use this app to take your students on a museum tour. It's just the most incredible thing. And the art instructor like latched onto that and she was all about this. She was like, this is perfect. I'm going to, and she downloaded it and she's got some lessons in there about they're going to go on a quote field trip to one of these um, museums that's doing paper-based structural art. I mean, what a great cool resource to have to give to the instructor. So I think it's when you're the ID getting a little bit excited about the the topic that you're going to help them build not only inspires the facilitator, um, but I think it can help inspire everybody who's going to touch that course to help take it up the next step on the ladder. That sounds so immersive. And what I love what you were talking about is from the ID, a little curiosity can really go a long way. Um, even if um, I'm not like you said, you're not an artist. I'm not a math person. I don't know about a lot of these different topics, but you do pick up a lot just from hearing the instructor talk about their own subject matter. Um, you pick up lots of little, you know, facts and information and whatnot. And even if maybe I don't specifically know 
you know, of a technology out there. I have a wealth of other IDs in the office that I can talk to and say, hey, you know, I know this person is really into this kind of content. I wonder if they would know or have inspiration about what we could do about um, this particular topic. Um, so it does breed a lot of creativity and can really yield some interesting results. And it sounds like with a lot of what you were talking about, Brian, that the way that filming is going to be done and the apps that are available, just from, just from you showing a little bit of curiosity and it's gone, it's gonna take the course you know, above and beyond. That's exciting. Absolutely. And I think when, when the faculty you're working with hear that curiosity and excitement in your voice, that shows them that you're on their side to help make this an awesome course, that all of this work that we have to do on the backside, like the course map, making sure the quiz questions we're writing are testing the knowledge, that the alignment is in the course, um, that's not just, we're not just checking those things off of a box because we have to. That's what makes the course shine. And when you're working with faculty going through this stuff, you hear in their voice, like you get through week one and week two, and then in week three, there might be a topic that they like start talking really fast about and start talking in depth about, you know, that specific topic is what they really enjoy talking about. So you can suggest to them, hey, why don't we expand this topic a little bit more? Because you sound like this is something that's really important. Let's let's drag this out over a couple of weeks. Let's make a big project out of this. Let's do something serious with this rather than just, you know, a, a quick little quiz and then we're done with it, moving on to the next thing. Let's let's put some some meat and potatoes into this thing. That's so interesting that you mentioned that. Um, and that's why I love taking the course map just week by week instead of filling it all out at once. And it's just an information dump. Because that's when you work with the instructor and really immerse yourself, you know, module by module, that's when you learn, like you said, this is the topic that, you know, made that instructor even want to get into teaching. And it's the one that typically it's happened more than once. I've had an instructor, it's like, oh, there's so much good stuff going on in this topic. This is a two or three week thing. And then it's really able to take the course and make it that much more personalized. I'm so glad you both brought up the idea of creativity because I think as uh, as IDs, we do have a lot of creativity in our role and it's nice to be able to use that and work with instructors who also are creative in their own right. Uh, and, you know, to come up with these these different ways to engage students, right? And I always kind of look at things when I talk to instructors, I said, if I were a student in your course, what would I want to do? You know, what would be fun for me? What would be engaging for me as a student? And how can we make that happen? And, um, you know, so I, I think pulling in the, these ideas and doing that little bit of research and, uh, and everything 
is great and it leads to excitement and you know I uh, like both of you have stated I've worked with instructors where that excitement comes out and it's just so much fun and you get to create something that is different and unique and um, and it does lend to collaborations like Emily said with uh, with other people in our department or even outside of our department to find these different ways to pull this exciting new idea into the course uh, to take it to that next level to go above and beyond. And uh, I think that's a, a really fun part about our role and why I enjoy working with faculty as well, because they they are pulling in different perspectives from uh, from their experience as well that you know, might we might have never known about. Um, I didn't know. I'm working on a cartography class and I had no idea there were all these online map tools and uh, and cartography tools out there that we're finding ways to pull into this online course and it's very exciting and really uh, you know brings a, a different perspective to our role as well uh, and one thing that, that Emily brought up as, as well with the course map is looking at it from week to week and uh, I want to also bring up that Brian has contributed uh, little tips and tricks uh, for in this month's newsletter about using dates and why dates are important and and how we can help instructors use dates so i want to have brian uh, expand a little bit on that and how using dates in d2l is important and how that maybe relates a little bit to the course maps and uh and this design work that we do one of the things i found out recently was dates are one of the most incredible things that d2l has to offer you can almost automate your course using dates to release assignments, um, to grade things. And Adam, you had mentioned before, um, allowing students to pick topics that are of interest to them. I recently found out that you can use dates to assign students to groups. Um, you can open up all your groups using a start date, and then you can set an end date. Students can self-assign themselves to groups that they are interested in. And then once that end date hits, anyone who hasn't assigned themselves to a group gets automatically assigned to a group, depending on the size of the group that you want. Um, so that helps allow students, you know, maybe they don't want to be working on um, a like how plants grow. Maybe they want to be working on um, something to do with cartography. And so they can join that group um, instead of just randomly assigning them to groups of five or four or seven or however many. And then, you know, they have to work on whatever topic is in that group. Um, and yes, there's some thinking like, yes, they should be able to write a, a paper about any group that they're assigned in. Yes, correct. However, if you let them pick their own group, you might get a better quality of paper from them. Um, and then one of the other things I found interesting was in one of the modules I was editing this semester, they had the due dates for their assignments and discussions manually typed in. So it would say this assignment due Monday by 11.59 p.m. and your discussion response would be due Wednesday by 11.59 p.m. And that is great for the student because they get to see when their stuff is due. But it's bad for the instructor because every time that course is offered, if the start date has moved forward, those you're gonna have to go in and manually edit those dates because they may have been thrown off 
you may elect to keep them, but if you go in and edit the title in D2L, and I put some screenshots in the newsletter to show you how to do this. If you go in and put in the automatic date, the start or the available time and then the end time, when you move the course forward using the manage dates tools, it will automatically, that's my new favorite word, automatically move those dates forward for you so that you as the instructor don't have to go in every single week and edit multiple assignments with those due dates there. It just, it D2L will automatically move it forward for you. But the one thing I did find out that is a big no-no is, um, don't use dates in the grades area because what can happen is you can you can start a, uh, an assignment or something with a certain start date but if you put an end date in there it will make the assignment disappear from the grades tab and then what's going to happen you're going to have every student in your class sending you an email going where did my grade go what happened what's going on where's the grades and then you're going to have to respond to all of those uh, individually or post an announcement in the class. So just don't use dates in the grade area. That's bad. Don't do it. Um, save yourself some grief. And uh, that's that's some of the, the two major things I learned about dates. I knew they were in there. I knew like, yes, we can make week two show up on this date. And then we can make week three show up on this date. But I didn't really know how powerful dates were in helping me move a course to the next time it's going to be offered. Those are some really great tips and very helpful for instructors, uh, especially moving forward. Uh, so I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, and I think it ties in really nicely too with, uh, with this idea of, um, you know, how, how are we structuring the course, right? And how, how are we, you know, building that out? And how can we use dates to to help with that as well, especially in an online world uh, and looking at that and helping students progress through the material um, and without us doing all the work, right? Like leverage the tools that we have and in this case, our learning management system D2L and, and what it can do with dates and making that powerful and, and making that work to our advantage. Uh, so I, I think that's great. Yeah. And, and a big shout out to Shelly Rodrigo, who um, put some uh, very, very beautiful scaffolding in the um, English 101, English 102. There's a date that starts, I think, in week two. And it, it's for a single assignment that carries on into week five. And it's the way the dates are set up some stuff doesn't appear until you've done work in week two and week three, and you've learned those skills to allow you to successfully progress into the next segment of the assignment. So Emily, what, how do you advise or um, encourage your instructors to use dates? I would say in a more general sense, the, the course map will really help you see your course, your entire course in a one or two page, um, you know, high level visual. So you can see, am I pacing assignments right? Is week three super light and week four is way too crazy with way too much going on. Um, so just backing it out from D2L um, and the actual dates uh, feature, 
it really does begin early on because students do need to, like you said, progress through the material at the right pace. Um, but also, are they hitting those initial skills you know, earlier on that they are able to be successful later on in the course? Um, and then another big part of, of this is consistency. So week over week, are students being thrown curveball assignments where it's like, okay, we're going to do a discussion in week one, and then in week two, it's a paper, and then we'll, we might come back to a discussion in week six. Well, that could be very jarring for students. So having consistent, you know, a few pieces of consistent placeholders in your course, like discussions or group check-ins or what, whatever those pieces are, and making them do on the same dates week over week. So the student can get into the habit of, okay, it's Wednesday, I have to do XYZ assignment. You bring up uh, a great point with consistencies, and that's something that I uh, hammer home with instructors all the time is, you know, no matter what you do, have that consistency because that is what's most helpful for students uh, to know that I have an assignment due every Wednesday in this course, or, you know, that I know, you know, every week I have, uh, I have a discussion and I have to post and I have to reply, or uh, I have to make sure that I watch a video by this date or, you know, do, you know, do something along those lines where it's consistent, uh, where it's not changing from week to week. And uh, that I, I think is key uh, and I think it's helpful when you have a tool uh, like Brian is saying using with the those dates uh, the dates tool in D2L to help enforce that consistency in a course and and I think that's great I'd also like to point out that we made it almost through this entire podcast before uh, the word scaffolding came up uh, so thank you, Brian, for throwing that out there, because I think that is uh, an important buzzword in the ID world is scaffolding when it comes to our work with instructors. So I'm glad that it made it in. Well, so now we've got scaffolding we can talk about next time. And Emily helped us um, by suggesting consistency. I think that's another topic that that we need to address, because that that really is a big one. And I'm going to be honest I've never really invested that much brain power into consistency. I don't know whether I just look at a course map and I go, yes, this is right. Or I can actually just look at it and go, oh no, we need to juggle some things around because it's, it's too heavy over here. So that's something I actually want to go address in my own um, instructional design is making sure that the course really is flowing nice and consistently. And that's great. And I think, uh, you know, more than anything, I hope anybody listening to this podcast can, you know, take at least one thing away as, as something that they can do differently or better or, or whatnot to uh, improve their process in course design, whether that's from an ID perspective in working with faculty or whether, you know, for any faculty listening to this podcast, you know, what's one thing that you can bring to your ID or bring to your own course design that can help with that as well. Uh, and with that said, I think we're, we're gonna wrap it up. Um, I'd like to thank Emily for joining us today and just know that Brian and I will be back each month with uh, new guests to talk about ID work and, uh, and course design and ed tech and, and any other topics that 
are fun and interesting in our our little world. I'm just going to say thanks, everybody, for tuning in and listening. And if you have any questions to ask your ID team, please don't hesitate to send us an email. We love hearing your questions. Awesome. Thank you so much. And uh, we look forward to joining you again next month on the Futures in Digital Learning podcast. The Futures of Digital Learning podcast is a production of the University of Arizona Digital Learning. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas you'd like to share with our office, go to the Contact Us link on our website.